0: These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) Entombed. Written by Andy Conduit Turner. Narrated by Persephone Rose. No two ways about it, there shouldn't be anything here. Chris felt increasingly perplexed as he pushed his glasses back up his nose and poked the touchscreen of the GPS. The light from the device illuminated his face eerily in the gloom of the passageway as the group tentatively traversed into the increasing dark of the structure they had come across not 20 minutes ago. A structure in a patch of desert that their notes and maps marked as being both thoroughly reviewed entirely empty regardless of what the note said however as Nate gunned their 4x4 over yet another sand dune there it was a whole structure just sticking out of the sand uncovered by nature as easily as they might have blown the dust off a neglected book at the library After taking a few moments to recover from Nate dramatically skidding the car to a halt, an action that almost flipped their vehicle for the second time on the day's drive alone, the four grabbed their gear and rushed to the unearthed structure's entrance, and now here they were, whether Chris believed it or not. Lowering the GPS, it took a few moments to adjust to the relative darkness replacing the glare of the artificial light. His vision cleared, and he began to properly take in his surroundings. It was nothing short of miraculous that not only had the structure been uncovered enough to be visible after countless ages buried in the searing sands of the desert, but unearthed enough to be accessible. Chris loathed the gung-ho approach of his friends, or should he say, colleagues. Despite spending most waking hours with Laura, Nate, and Henry for the past three weeks, the increased familiarity between them if anything, had made him more certain that their relationship should remain a purely professional one. A chill wind, the opposite of any non-conditioned air he'd experienced as they landed in Cairo, rushed past from deeper within the structure. He shivered slightly as he became aware how much cooler it was inside, even this relatively short distance in. Turning and looking back up the smooth stone passageway, he could see a small square of light from the entrance, no chance of getting lost yet, though now, looking at the angle, he was surprised at just how much deeper under the sand the corridor had taken them already. What do you suppose they used this place for? A voice inquired from just up ahead. Laura had stopped slightly further along the corridor and was illuminating a series of hieroglyphics on the wall with a glow stick she held in one hand. The place had clearly piqued her interest a great deal, as evidenced by the fact she'd actually taken not one but both of her headphones out. Based on the lack of statues or other grand decoration combined with a sharp move underground, I'd say we're looking at an old food store, nothing too exciting. He answered with a confidence in his voice far outstripping his internal confidence in the answer he'd given. But she wasn't likely to contradict him, being as he was by far the most widely read member of the group. "'I'm not so sure. "'This text here translates roughly to preserving something, "'but the figures here are tending to bodies, not produce.' "'Damn, Laura. "'It was just like her to ask a question and then contradict you.' "'Chris supposed doing it, "'along with being able to translate two or three dead languages, "'made her feel superior. "'He was about to point out that she could only roughly translate anything "'when he was interrupted.' Hey guys, uh, you need to see this. Henry's voice echoed off the walls of the passage as he shouted, unseen from the dark further down the passage. How far ahead had he and Nate wandered? Laura sprinted off without a moment's hesitation, taking her glow stick with her and plunging Chris into the dark. Flustered, he unclipped the mag light from his belt, twisted it to summon a beam of harsh white light, and, taking a final moment to ensure his hat was firmly on his head, hurried on after her. Jackpot! Laura and Nate clinked their crowbars together as if making a toast inside a large central chamber the group had discovered at the end of the long entry corridor. With the increased light now available as Henry liberally scattered every available chemical and electronic light source the group had in their collective inventory around the chamber, a number of ornate sarcophaguses could clearly be made out. Not to mention the decorative offering jars and statues covering every available surface. Nate and Laura, clutching their crowbars, began to eye the first sepulcher to prize their way into when Chris, arriving at the chamber and immediately reading the situation, dove in with a sensible approach. Absolutely not! Lowering their crowbars with sighs of disappointment and looking at the floor like scolded children, the pair listened sheepishly as he continued... Nothing. An undiscovered tomb, even one undeniably architecturally structured like a food store, is a career defining discovery for any archaeologist. It is most assuredly not fodder for crowbar wielding hobbyists to raid and plunder with crowbars like the wet bandits who took an optional module in anthropology. Nate raised an eyebrow and turned to Laura. Psst, who are the wet bandits? he whispered, must be one of those mature student-era references, she replied to him quietly before deciding to just go ahead and ask, Chris, who are the wet, you can google it later. Chris was clearly on a roll and wouldn't be as easily sidetracked from this lecture on proper process as he had been back at the car when they first arrived. Taking out his phone, he began to tap away at it as he continued. We will inform the university, observe, photograph, and record the position of every grain of... You know, as a guy so up on protocol, you're aware the university doesn't reimburse us for data roaming during this trip, right? Henry rejoined the group from the other side of the chamber, a painted red clay jar in one hand and a smile on his face. It wasn't so much what he said that caused Chris to abruptly abort his speech mid-sentence with an EEP! and reflexively drop his phone onto the sand floor of the chamber, but the memory of the several high-definition maps and detailed area reports he'd had the phone download since they discovered the site. Besides, Henry continued as he reached into the jar, as much as this is the old name, this particular artifact is still a good 2,000 years too new to be groundbreaking evidence of Ptolemaic dynasty snacking habits. As he spoke, he withdrew a dust-covered Marathon chocolate wrapper from the jar. Smiling again at the sight of Chris's mouth hanging aghast, Henry made an attempt to cheer him up. It's not so bad, man. At least we've uncovered a pre-Snickers society site. That makes it at least older than... he paused. Most of us... Further debate, and much peer pressure later, Chris stood nervously wringing his hands as Laura positioned her crowbar, ready to open one of the stone containers. Elsewhere in the room, Nate and Henry worked on one of the wall-mounted caskets. I can't believe I'm going along with this, Chris sniffed. Your words, Chris, Laura said, straining as she leaned her weight on the crowbar. The presence of that wrapper prevents us accurately dating this site. Plus, if we actually find something (laughs) interesting... Having dislodged the lid, Laura stopped short as the dust cleared and she saw inside the sarcophagus. Chris, moving closer, joined her for a closer look. A real-life mummified body lay in the alcove the lid had been covering, desiccated and traditionally bandaged, but mystifyingly dressed in a pith helmet and monocle. The... This is impossible, Chris stuttered. The clothes on the mummy are indicative of late 1800s fashions, early 1900s at the latest. Oh, we'll see your 20th century fashion and raise you, Henry's voice came from the other side of the chamber. Looking over, Chris now saw a very confused-looking Henry and a dust-covered Nate silently scratching his head, standing either side of a wall-mounted coffin that housed another mummy, this time wearing a white t-shirt with... Choose Life, emblazoned across the chest in bold black lettering, and a Walkman tucked into the bandages at the hip, complete with garish orange headphones resting on the corpse's head. Hours passed as the group, frantically and almost silently, toiled away, uncovering mummy after mummy and artifact after artifact, each discovery more surreal than the last, until finally they stood, each of them filthy and exhausted in the center of the chamber, looking at the most mismatched section of finds any of them could imagine. Mummies dressed in period costume and fashions from throughout the world and spanning hundreds of years? One mummy was dressed in a pinstriped suit, complete with a hat, spats, and a tommy gun tucked under a bandaged arm. Another, with a missing left hand and wooden right leg, sported an eye patch and tri-corner hat. Then there were the contents of the jars, now strewn across the floor of the chamber. A troll doll, a fondue set, a Tamagotchi, sadly also dead. Chris was eventually the first to try and speak. I just don't get it. These bodies have all been traditionally prepared, but these items and their clothes, there's just no way that... Before Chris could recall any plausible example from one of the course texts, a sudden snarl or more accurately, snarls, came from all directions surrounding them. With an incredibly immediate fluidity of movement and clearly hostile intent, the uncovered corpses all lurched into motion, sitting up and pouring out of their wall-mounted coffin alcoves and droves, while other previously unseen creatures staggered in from unexplored antechambers adjacent to the main hall. Even the sand floor began to ripple as submerged hands clawed themselves free and lunged instinctively at the group of students. Laura opened her mouth to say something, but was immediately stifled as snaking bandages, moving seemingly independently, wrapped themselves around her head, whilst other strands began to ensnare her at the wrists and ankles. Frantically looking around the chamber for a way out, Chris picked out more bizarrely attired mummies, a Second World War military uniform, disco flares with star-shaped sunglasses. Was that a clown? In his panic, he'd lost track of Henry and Nate for a moment before seeing them across the room standing back to back. Nate took a swing at one of the mummies with his crowbar, cracking its skull with a mighty THWACK! His victory was short-lived, however, as no sooner had he struck the blow than an unholy mass of spiders and scorpions erupted from the wound and spilled over the shrieking friends as they were obscured by the crowding mummies. At this moment, Chris himself was set upon by several dry, dusty, and inhumanly strong hands that dragged and forced him to the floor. Lying on his back with foul, rotting hands holding his head perfectly still, he looked up helplessly as a mummy clothed in a Union Jack dress and with pigtails loomed over him and approached his face with some kind of tool. As it drew closer, he recognized it as the hook traditionally used in mummification to remove the brain via the nasal cavity. As the creature began to push the hook into his nose, he began to scream. After the second slightly wet crunching sound, he stopped. With incredible efficiency, the dead went about their work in silence, gathering up careless explorers and transporting them deeper into the tomb to complete the rest of the preservation process. As the bodies were dragged out of the chamber, Laura's remaining free hand clawed in vain for some kind of anchor to grasp on the sand floor, a few weak and muffled cries faintly audible through the layer of bandages covering her face. On the floor of the chamber, the team's GPS phones, and all other items lay still and abandoned, awaiting proper storage with their owners later. On the surface, the sky took on an irregular hue, and the desert winds began to whip up the endless sands to bury the Temple of Preservation once more. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Entombed, written by Andy Conduit-Turner, narrated by Persephone Rose, edited by Carl Hughes, with music by Electro and Tom Robson. You might be interested to know that the writer of this story, Andy Conduit-Turner, is currently running a Kickstarter campaign for his Horror Comics Anthology. If that sounds like your bag, head over to www.kickstarter.com and search for Horde Comics Anthology Volume 1 or go to the show notes of this episode and click on the link there. By the time this episode is out there in the wild, you really won't have much time. You have about two or three days at the most. So head over right now, stop what you're doing, and go and grab your copy of the comic book now. Honestly, go and do it now. 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 Until next time.